When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Seven iconic housewives from four different cities. Look at this water. We're going to give them something to talk about. Vacation. The Turks and Caicos. The party now. The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip. All episodes streaming now, only on Peacock. Ah! Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to a post-COVID Arsenal Opinion podcast. I am here today with a socially distanced Ash. How are you? Fantastic. And with a socially not so distanced Matt. Hi, Pete. Good to be here. Fantastic to be back, guys. Uh, It felt like football was never going to return. And here we are, two days out. Um, And when people in the UK listen to this, it's going to be one day until the Premier League part two begins. Um, How excited are we? Yeah, it's um, it's exciting, isn't it? Uh, we've been waiting for so long. It's sort of weird. Uh, we've seen a, a hint of what it could be like with the Bundesliga and and the like. I haven't actually engaged with that whatsoever. I wasn't so desperate for football that I wanted to watch Bundesliga, to be completely honest. But Arsenal is a completely different kettle of fish, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm ready for Wednesday and uh, excited. Ash, how are you feeling? Yeah, great. You know, not since Dennis Compton have we had such a strong batting lineup uh, in the first test of the season. Oh, wait, what? Oh, yeah, we're playing football in June. Football's back, Ash. It feels very weird that it's in the summer, right, to me, but I cannot wait for this enough. I have engaged a little bit with the Bundesliga just to kind of get a feel for what what it might look like, but I I don't care. I just want to watch those guys play. It's simple as that. Yeah, it's... um... It's almost amazing that we're playing in the summer. Like I'm, I'm so. It's it's such a shame that in the UK they can't really watch it in a beer garden. But imagine uh, June, July, August football normally would be great. It adds to the magic, especially in our time zone, right? You know, because I don't know about you guys, but the summer, you know, it's beautiful here. 
you got nice sunny mornings, just getting up with, you know, when it's not dark to watch a game and freezing outside, I think it's going to be really, really good fun. It feels like a tournament, right? Because it's the Euros or World Cup style, kind of compacted season, everybody in it, you know, I, I kind of like that. Yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be brilliant. Uh, and, you know, the difficulty that I have when preparing for this podcast is there's usually like three very neat sections uh, to go through because of, you know, we've just played a game or there's a transfer to discuss, but there's not really a lot to discuss today because there's so much to discuss, if you know what I mean. Like there's hundreds of things that have happened since we last did a, a proper podcast. So I've just got a list of topics and questions. So we're just going to gun through the list. It's going to be quick fire um, and you know, we're going to just get everybody warmed up. This is, this is like, uh, this is the, the pregame warm up. It's going to be quick. It's going to be fast. It's going to get the football back in the legs. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to crack right on. Uh, big question to start with, obviously. Um, what do you think the biggest impact of COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, we were going to have the Euros, weren't we? Weren't we? Weren't we? Yeah. Uh, well, I think um, I think Arsene Wenger, I read this and I'm going to steal it unashamedly. Arsene Wenger said the impact of COVID-19 is going to be the big clubs get, the strong clubs get stronger and the weak clubs get weaker. And I think we've seen that across the whole world. Uh, you know, Amazon have done incredibly well and people... Uh, who weren't digitally centric businesses have done less well. Uh, you're going to see people with huge cash reserves and backing from um, who, who aren't wholly reliant on their revenue doing better than clubs that are. I think the biggest question is is not to debate that. The bigger question is, are Arsenal in the, in the bracket of strong clubs or weak clubs? And I think it depends what way you look at it. I think we're stronger than some, but uh, it's going to be an interesting time to see. And, I think Swiss Ramble did his analysis of the top six. The Lloyd Money report came out. You know, we're we're right on the edge of that top six at the moment. We're better placed than the likes of Spurs, but um, it's gonna it, it's it's gonna hit us hard in the context of top six, but probably not that hard in the context of the whole Premier League. I think you're, and just to add a bit of weight to that thought, you've got uh, you've got Spurs. Uh, drawing on uh, the Bank of England for a uh, 140 uh, 200 million pound no 175 million pound loan uh, and then you've got Chelsea out trying to sign uh, Havertz uh, they they've basically done the deal for Timo Werner Manchester United have drawn 140 million credit line to attack the summer um so just just to be clear the credit line piece is a bit of a false number right because Credit at the moment is cheap. So a lot of companies, right? You've got to remember in the context of a company, people are drawing down on credit lines because you can issue bonds at the moment for a lot less um, interest costs. So the one, the, the Spurs thing is really interesting because they're on, they are, they borrowed money against the stadium. We've been through that. Um, but obviously the revenue models are higher. Now that the revenue is impacted, I think Spurs end up in a situation like we were or a little bit closer to where we were where we knew we had to tighten the belt for five to six years. Um, I think uh, I think people like us will suffer because of match day revenues. Um, but I think we are going to end up trimming the wage bill quite significantly this summer. I think that'll be the biggest impact. Um, whether transfer fees could be sustainable at that, that rate or contract renewals, I don't really know. Um, but even Barca and Madrid and these boys who are heavily reliant on debt 
are going to put themselves into positions where they're potentially over leveraged. So I think there will be, I don't think we can see, see or say yet. I think as we go into the next season and the je- next January window, I think we'll start to see the real impact of it all. So I think uh, it's just, to- I think it's interesting just to say, um, one of the things I've certainly noticed is it does provide an opportunity for, um, companies and businesses to reset and a lot of people are using this opportunity to look at the way we're doing that they do business to trim the costs that they've been thinking about trimming for a while to look at uh executing strategies that they may have put off for a while Um, and i think that's going to be the really interesting thing the scary thing is i i don't get the impression that arsenal are really thinking like that in terms of how does this impact longer-term strategy? It feels like it's much more of a hatchet job to to trim certain costs. And I know that when it comes down to what we've done with getting rid of scouts, like that's something that really sets some alarm bells ringing for for me in terms of the long-term direction of the club. Because I personally would would be completely fine with the club saying we're taking the opportunity to tr- shred the wage bill of all the, of, of a lot of the older players and basically start from ground zero, reinvest in youth. But it doesn't quite seem like we're doing that. I think, um, I I do think you're right, but I think the scouts piece, I think is slightly tied to a personnel issue and the overall change of management. But I also think it does mean that, that, that clubs with solid youth systems are going to prevail a little bit more than those that have to buy. So you could argue, for example, the Chelsea's of the world will really suffer. You could also make the argument, despite what I just said on the money thing, is that play, a team like Spurs could end up doing remarkably well. If you look at the bulk of their under-21 team, it's about 95% English. We know English players command a premium. Um, and if they're looking to, to make bucks early on, they may move people on and they may bring those through and sort of balance the act that way i think it's going to be a different size model for each club um i think thankfully the way that our youth team has started to step up this season especially under our testing and being given the chances they've got i think we're probably in a slightly better situation than others but that does mean that you expect these players to kick on and do well and not become your kind of Theos and Awobis, which where you do get a great return on them but they don't actually have that big an impact on your day-to-day sort of squad and operations you know um my my thoughts on you know what's the biggest impact in football and i could be completely off here but i feel that it might be a great leveler i think that i think if you if you read if you read between the lines arsene wenger is in a very powerful position at fifa now and he's complained for years that the, the 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 playing field is not level, and I wonder whether he is maneuvering or lobbying to uh, to to raise the you know the 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 red flag here that this could potentially destroy football for many years if you let Chelsea, if you let Manchester City, if you oh. let PSG pick off all of the good players and entrench their positions at the top of leagues which are mostly dominated by massive clubs. The game will get boring and then people will stop watching. I mean, so I I think that there's going to, I think that if it gets grotesque this summer, I think that them, I think that FIFA 
and UEFA are going to have to regulate because you you cannot have Juventus winning the league every time. You cannot have the big question in France being who finishes second. You can't have all these teams pulling away and pushing towards a Super League because um, I don't think that people want it. So my, my thing is that I hope it's a leveller and potentially... I, a- I, I think you're right, it could be. But the other thing that was really interesting in that Wenger piece was that he also said that he thinks having been a huge advocate for it, and by the way, I, I kind of stand in agreement around I, I, I love the phrase that he created financial doping because I think it's absolutely a, a very polite way of you know putting it but the um, he said FFP is unenforceable it's not actually something that can be managed that way so what the answer is and given the amount of time it may need like as in it could be quite a short term turnaround where they've got to come up with something like that I think the reliance on UEFA to actually step up and fix something along those lines. Plus, alongside the kind of G20 of clubs, I know it's been disbanded, but you can almost see that coming back to an extent. Um, what, yeah, I, I, I do think you're right, though. I think there is an opportunity where this becomes a real leveler. Well, I, I one, data, one data point, though, by the way, from the, um, I know we may touch on this a bit late. Actually, I'll leave it. We'll touch on it later, I'm sure. Arsene Wenger, he's done it again. You know, he's uh, he's he's left Arsenal, but he is still ne- maneuvering things in the background to make maybe uh, help us in the future. Yeah, and, uh, you know, exactly, or, justify yeah. What, or justify the way he ran the and, club. And I think I think the the one other thing that maybe this will do to the benefit of Arsenal, and we will talk about this in more detail later, is it's very easy to sweep a Cedric Suarez signing under the carpet uh, when you know you're spending 72 million elsewhere because it doesn't seem important i'm hoping that the financial problems that we're going through now brings a sharper focus from Josh Kroenke to really ask questions about who is recommending these players what is the insight that sits behind them where are the fees going um, because you know, we're certainly uh, swimming in, in in different ponds these days, and you know when you're wealthy and you're successful and you're doing well, I think that there is a you know a, a, you, you turn a blind eye. But I think the Arsenal are ninth. Do you think, um, do you think Josh Wally cares at the moment? I think that I think that he'll care I if we finish this. I think he's focused on his US businesses. I think just the success of the Rams, the new stadium coming to fruition, the amount of revenue that's generating, they've got. It's been signed off in this Olympic venue for 2028. They're getting a Super Bowl in two years' time. He's got another team playing at the ground. I I just think they are all over that real estate thing and the mall they're building next to it. And he doesn't give a shit. He ain't getting on a plane, even if it's one he owns. I think that you have to... I think that when mega rich people look like they're being embarrassed, and I think the more we shine a light on some of these deals the more he starts to look like he's being you know taken for a ride you know i hope that he steps in because you know that's that's his money that they're uh, that, that that they're wasting so fingers fingers crossed that um Arsene Wenger sorts it out um at, at a higher level and the the moment focuses the club um you know uh, closer to home level so uh, moving on to the next question because we've got a lot to get through today guys Football without fans. Um, what do we think? We've seen what we've seen in the Bundesliga. It's seen very strange. We've seen 
the old Champions League game where it's been played behind closed doors because someone's behaved badly. Um, we have very little to go on. <laughs> the, the two friendlies have been farcical. Uh, <laughs> the highlights have been sort of ridiculous. Um, I think that's. I think that's fair. I just. I mean, I rewatched the highlights just before this, and it, it was. I mean, no one. I don't know whether it was deliberate because we're not used to watching friendlies, or literally no one was going in for tackles or anything, right? It's gonna be. It's gonna be very, very strange to um, to watch for sure. Um, I mean, I think that the sound is going to be interesting. I mean, I think I, I mentioned on I put it on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, you know, we had the North the North Bank mural in the early nineties, specifically, uh, you know, to address the fact that it was so odd, you know, playing in front of a building site and there was nothing behind there. And I, and I do wonder whether we we would actually almost be better off by by putting up four walls of murals rather than banks of seats. What did and, uh, What did make, you think making, of La Liga? Did you see the FIFA uh, crowds in in the La Liga games? What did you think? Did it Did it help? I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. They put virtual fans in there, and I mean, it noise. makes sense. It makes sense. So, so um, next question on the the fans: Who who do you again coming back to Arsene Wenger? He won't leave us alone. Um, Arsene Wenger believes the um, no, uh, game the game without fans benefits the bigger teams because uh, the smaller teams don't have fans. Uh, behind them, Arteta hopes that a game without fans gives young players more confidence, and um, because they're not in front of fans screaming abuse at them, where where do we stand on this? How do we um, think this is going to benefit Arsenal's youngsters? Here's the most interesting thing to come out of Germany. If you look at all the data from every game, I think Bayern aside, home advantage has been completely killed. Wow. Oh, which is good for us. It's fucking good for us. It's really, really <laughs> a fantastic piece. I think in the Times a week or two ago, where when they looked at the first four games, the win percentage on the away team was up like twenty odd percent, which almost made it fifty fifty for home advantage. Well, wow. that is where I think the kind of critical thing is, and I think <laughs> interesting that we're going up to Man City in our first game. You know, uh, I doubt we're going to win six nil, but you know. No, it's, it's interesting. One thing I haven't heard of, and, and do you think that, because imagine if you were Jeff Bezos or some sort of super rich billionaire and you wanted to watch one of the games, do you think that there are going to be a group of super rich who will find a way to get into the stadiums and watch these games? Do you think that, that is happening somewhere and that there is a a band of people who are able to to be watching the game from from somewhere in the stadium. Well, I guess if it's a small amount of fans in the, it, it's not a mass gathering, is it? It's, it's not a mass gathering if it's six of your mates. So right. I think I think people are so embarrassed about the bad PR fallout that it won't happen. Yeah. Or such a way that the cameras are never going to see them. You know, they're going to be watching it from. Club level, exactly. <laughs> it might, it might not be. I wonder if it would be fun though, being one of three people in a stadium that's empty. It's, oh, the, scarcity. Could... it's the scarcity principle, isn't it? You can say you were there. Can, say, and, can you imagine when Liverpool go and win, when when Liverpool win the league? Oh my god! Yeah. So people will pay 
hundreds of thousands to be in the ground when they win it. I promise you. The, the club could get rid of all their COVID-19 financial woes by just selling individual seats for 100 grand. That's such a great point. That is such, And they've got to make up that 15% revenue drop somehow. <laughs> okay, so I, we like the noise. Uh, we want noise. I, I think it's really interesting without the noise. I think hearing the players and I think the thing that will change a lot, and you're both way too young to remember this, but if you remember the ref, David Ellery, many years, he got, when he got wired up, yeah, when he got wired up, and uh, <laughs> this was a test, but the Arsenal players didn't know that it was happening. And I mean, the, the videos and the tapes exist for this, and bless him, love TA, but the amount of filth that came out of their mouths was just un- unbelievable. You're always shocked by how high pitched his voice is in that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. To, to, just before we move on to the next question, Tony Adams doing a TikTok dance of that routine of when he went to Spain was one of my favourite things of the lockdown. Taking the piss out of himself. Love it. Tony Adams has been phenomenal on Instagram, I think. I think, especially with the Sporting Chance stuff, I think he's really seized the moment. I mean, that's growing outside of, of football now into so many other sports, but I think it's... Um, I think he's done a great job. For me, I'm I'm just annoyed that my birthday hasn't fallen at the right time for Ray Parler to do a shirtless uh, shout out from his back garden. He oh, announced that he's going to stop doing these. Until we're back in pubs. How 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 does a man that drinks so much Cobra maintain such a magical physique? I I know, right? And yeah. it's not fake tan. Oh, I've got to love Ray. I mean, he's, he's literally one of my favourite players, if not one of my my favourite players from all time. But, he's uh, ripped sitting down, which is the real test, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Okay, moving on to a, a, a tougher question, um, because you might not have an answer. Do you think five subs is going to be a game changer? And if you do... How do, you, how do you think the managers are going to use it? So they get three opportunities to make five subs. So I don't, I don't think it's going to be an amazing opportunity for us, particularly, <laughs> because, because I don't think we've got a bench loaded with talent that can necessarily change the game in a way that you could see with someone like Manchester City. Uh, because we always seem to have a couple of real sort of useless individuals sort of at the end of at the end of our bench. Um but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be more likely that you can see the traje- trajectory of games significantly alter, I imagine. Um but I don't think you can you have to make the substitutions in, in three three goes, is that three right? Goes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well it's definitely gonna it definitely may see more of an influx of changes at half time. It would have suited Emory. Imagine, um, yeah, imagine Unai Emery being able to go one nil up and then like bring on the deep, deep block with five defenders at half time. Be magic. The only sport where I did see it's had an impact, and actually it's come up for discussion again recently, is um, when rugby switched to that many subs, and it was originally around, especially the front row being a specialist position and increasing it that, and, but they still have to be available for blood injuries and they can go back on and stuff. Um, and you now have this notion, which Eddie Jones, the England coach, has said, you're not a sub, you're a finisher. You're coming on to play really hard and have an impact in the last 20 minutes of the game. Oh, and like even that. he's back from that and saying, actually, is that the right way we should play the sport? So I wonder whether there is something that someone or a smaller club or a middle-tier club will start to do around that that other people will start to copy. I um, 
I think it'll be very sheepish out the gate getting all the subs or because of fitness and the lack of game time and whatever, it'll be something that they just really, really hit home hard. And we start seeing subs even more at half time, depending on the game position and definitely earlier in the second half. Well, Miguel Arteta is uh, known to be a, a massive innovator within the game. So you would imagine the, the like, I love that idea of like you're a finisher because we've got some players. I mean, Nicolas Pepe is very suited to that super sub role. That, that 20 minute, come on, run it ragged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the same applies, by the way, for your defenders. The idea that you can switch from playing three at the back to five at the back or four at the back and five at the back and bring bring another defensive midfielder on, which you can do before, um, to, to keep the game tight, I think will definitely have some impact. Does it mean that the opposition will start loading up with five more five attackers instead of four? I I mean, I, you know, it's really hard to tell. I think it was Graham Potter that, uh, that had a quite an interesting, I don't know whether you call it an innovation, but um, he, uh, when VAR came in, he reintroduced the offside trap, which went out of fashion because players became so quick. Lines, lines, linesmen and women couldn't see whether players were offside or not. So um, he brought back uh, the, the offside trap because he knew that if they, if it looked like they beat it and they hadn't, VAR would pick it back up. So I'm interested to see what Potter and uh, Arteta and Pep Guardiola um, bring to the five subs. Um, moving on to uh, to a different shape of question here. Um, so there were there was a lot of talk early on about all clubs enforcing uh, pay cuts because of the problems. It seems like Arsenal are the only club to enforce an actual full on pay cut as opposed to um, a deferral in the Premier League. Uh, do you think that is Don Raul um, playing the dark arts um, to a masterful level, or do we think that that could come back to bite us? Um, this summer, I personally think it's um, think it's a a good thing. I think um, when Arsenal have been when we've been at our best, we've been a club that has been a value driven club. We've been the Bank of England club. We've had a we've had the moral we've had some sort of moral high ground in, in the majority of cases, and I think the COVID situation has allowed us to once again. Um, have some sort of moral superiority, in order, and we've managed to not lay anyone off and not rely on uh, and sort of keep the, keep the business in check. So, and I think the fact that Arteta was able to lead it was so much more than a coach; it's much more of a managerial act and bring the players on side and align them behind something speaks volumes for him in the direction that him and the players want to go and if we lose a couple of players over it it can fuck off frankly I, and, I, and I agree I think, it all comes out in the wash right other clubs may not have taken a pay cut but they may just flog a bunch of players instead to cover it off and when it comes to renegotiation you're not getting the bump you wanted um, so and again we don't really know what's in the details behind these pay cuts right they may have certain measures from my understanding it's a lot of it's around the bonuses right the match bonuses and Champions League bonuses and European bonuses. Now we know that we're not definitely going to be in uh, uh, in some of those competitions. Oh, it's going to be tough. I think um, they're, they're calling it as early as possible, which I think is a smart move. 
I think a lot of other clubs are just going to try and ride it out and see what happens. That could ultimately be a very good move, or it could be, shit, we're in a worse problem than we actually thought we might have been in. You know, I I think uh, I, I think you're right. I think if if Barcelona are in the shit because uh, and they've had to put their players on seventy five percent pay cut, Atletico, um, Juventus, I just don't see how the Premier League clubs get away with it. And I think getting in early is is a great move as long as you don't go back in for a second ask. And I also I quite like um, you know one of the points that you were making there, Matt. Like it's a it's a nice rallying cry, you know. Like it 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 got you know it gave the manager the opportunity to convince the players to do something that was very Arsenal like, you know, very classy. And you know, we didn't lay anybody off. We didn't take the tax breaks for furloughing people. So I'm hoping that that's um, you know a bit of a, a blooding. And, and I think the other thing is, do you think Joe Willock had an issue, or Reese Nelson, or, uh, or or those players? Absolutely not. Who are the no, players no, no. that are most likely to have had an issue with it? It would have it been the, like sen- the senior. I think it the senior pros who have been around the bush, who are a bit more like uh, mercenary about some of the. I mean, even mercenary, just, 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 yeah. just, just, just. They've just been around the one, and it's much more of a job for them. And you know, it's like, well, tough shit. You should have, you know. It's just the way it is, you know. You've lived yeah, through recession the, everywhere every ten years, right? Yeah, and you've, lived, mean, you've, you've yeah. lived through the best times, and yeah. now you're going to have to. It's going to. It's. It might. You're going to take a very, very small cut in the grand scheme of things. And if you don't want it, then ship out. And I think it was a good opportunity because what what Emery was so bad at was Wenger just commanded the respects of the players in a, in a way because of what he'd achieved early on in his career and the relationship he was able to. Emery was soft as fuck, despite all the all the all the noise. And I think what Arteta has done on that is it's a tricky one. I mean, getting people to to be paid less is not a conversation that you want to be having when you're new in the job. But rather than look upon it as a moment to be, you know, worried about or to distance himself from, he like took it on front on. Could have easily left it to the board and said, look. I don't want to get involved. I've only just started working with the group. I don't want to be about... He's like, no, he, he got on it. He was not afraid to have the hard conversation. He drove it through to completion. So you've got to think that it bodes well for his leadership style, him going after staff and really, really impressed. Here's, I, I agree. And here's the piece that I think that's fascinating is that he's not the manager, right? He's the head coach, but yet he did the job of a manager. He is referring to himself. He was in the media prior to all this as the manager, right? Which I think is... Fair. I don't think Raul or anyone's been anywhere near any of these conversations. I think they're just out trying to fish around for next season or whatever else they can do or shift players on if that's going to be the case. But um, the other piece that I think is really impressive is, and this could be because I think the club's particularly good at putting out a message at the moment around social media, is the way he's showing his leadership across the board. Like, I know it's nice that you get him on the on a Zoom call with Prince William and all that stuff, but you see some of this behind the scenes stuff that they're doing. I mean, he was the first one back at the training ground. He was the first one doing planning. You know, they've been sitting at home thinking about what the rest of this season means. They're not sort of sat there saying, well, yeah, went for a run, had a couple of beers and took the kids out in the garden kind of thing. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. It feels very proactive and that he's actually using this as somewhat of an opportunity to gel and forge the kind of 
squad that he wants to manage. And I think maybe some of those selections came through in the in the friendly games. Maybe they didn't. Maybe he's already understood that he's got to run without X, Y, or Z. I think Luis is a great example. There's no way that he gets another year given he just got paid however much he has been for the rest of this season or for the whole of this season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we were saying, uh, I was chatting to, to Pete a while ago and saying, the biggest, the biggest differentiator that we have versus the other clubs is that we've now given our manager the chance to have a pre-season. And that's always the piece that's levelled at everyone. Um, just, he didn't. Um, be, he won't be able to wait until next season when he gets a chance to have a proper pre-season. And so if you think about it, it should serve Mourinho well. It should serve Arteta well. The clubs where managers have come in mid-season haven't had a chance to work with the players. They've now got the chance to do that. The other thing is players who, top international players who haven't had a break in years, will come back absolutely firing. And I, I saw a picture of Alexis Sanchez uh, in an Inter shirt, and he looked mean, ready for business. Every muscle was strained. He looked like he'd slept in a cryogenic tank for about four weeks straight. And my prediction is that he's going to come back and score 10, 15 goals in the last, in the last few rounds of the right. season. And by the way, first time in a long time he's done an interview where he hasn't complained about something. Other than Mourinho, which I think is fair to complain. So, so think about the players who have not had, the, who, the international players who have not had a break in years and who they are, and then expect them to come out really all guns blazing. Yeah, um, interesting on the pay cut thing. The, um, a, a lot of the uh, a, a, the names that were kicking up a fuss um, had the Bundesliga connection. So, um, it bodes well for the summer. If the Bundesliga is not a richer, richer league or for paying than the Premier League. So, great. Ober, if you want to go back to Germany, which I don't think you will, and I don't think he's angling for anything, by the way, I'm, I'm seeing the glass half full on this one. I don't think he's thinking he's, well, he's not going to get more money in Spain. They will tanked in terms of salaries. I don't think the German club's going to pay anymore. Well, is it? A poor, we'll talk about Ober in a second, but he, um, well, maybe we'll start about that now. Uh, like, what? What do we think about the Ober situation? I mean, he's gone from being one of the hottest properties in Europe to now nobody's got that 300000 a week that he wants. He says that Arsenal haven't got a contract offer on the table for him. Um, where, what, do we, what do we do with uh, you know, a player that Mikel Arteta has consistently said is the best player at Arsenal? What do you do with Aubameyang um, going into this summer? New deal, sell or stick? I think you stick because I don't think uh, I don't think you go and lock him in on a long term on a long term deal. I don't think that should be part of the overall club strategy. I think maybe you try and do a year. You could try and do a year extension. That would make the most sense. You get rid of Lacazette and you start going. Okay, what do we want our front three to look like in two years? Is it you know Eddie Martinelli? And then, you know, an incoming signing that we've got our eye on who could be really top-notch and stop building towards that vision because um, we definitely need his goals at the moment, but you do fear that, you know, we don't want to go and bust our transfer budget on extending Aubameyang when there are so many issues around the, around, around the rest of the team that, that need addressing. 
we we haven't had a thirty league goal a season striker for so long now. And I just think as we're going into a transformation of what we're doing, you still need something to anchor that around. And I think Oba is it. And I think the conversation for him is less probably about the money. It's more about, am I going to win something in my career? As I'm, I'm 30, 31 now. If I want to go and win big trophies, I've won the, he's won nothing, is he? Really? I don't think he's got Do a major you, trophy. I don't think. Yeah, Do you know, I think that's about it. So I think that's that's probably playing on his mind a little bit more than perhaps the extra wedge in terms of his indecision. I think the club are very, very clear, very public, even like on some of those calls, it's like, no, 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 you're not going anywhere kind of thing. I think his teammates want him around. I think he's not a bad, I think he's a good influence on the club. And I think, Matt, what you're saying is right. If he had to, if you had to pick between him and Laka, I love Laka. I mean, don't get me wrong, but Laka could be a 15 goal a man season or he could be a 30 goal a man season. You don't know until you're kind of there, overscored no matter where he's been, right? And I think we've got to think about that. I don't think Laka's a 30 goal a season at all. No, he's a busted flash. I think, I, think he's, I, think, I think he's toast. I don't know. It's just maybe, maybe he'll come out of this break. But his issues seem to be confidence as much as fitness. That's sort of the scary thing. Uh, you know, maybe he'll come. Maybe, 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 I mean, we say all this, it's just been such a terrible first half of the season. I mean, you can't really. Yeah, uh, I'm two different coaches throughout that, 16 different formations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think. Yeah. It's tough, right? But, but I think what we're all saying is you got, you got to, you got to get rid of one of them. Oh, but they yeah. cost roughly the same, right? Which is doesn't they've not delivered roughly the same on the pitch. No. Yeah, I think um, I think the Obama Yang situation is is difficult. You can't get yourself. In, I, I don't think it's. I don't think you'd ever get yourself into another Mesut Ozil situation. Um, but at the same time, I do think that if if you want to. <laughs> If you want to move forward, giving him a three hundred thousand pound a week deal um, for a minimum of three years doesn't really uh, make sense, and I, I have the sense that the club might just run down that year because if you if if a twenty four year old striker in Timo Werner is going for fifty million, and Arsenal are struggling to get a twenty million bid at the moment, like selling him for twenty million almost seems pointless. Not worth it. Not worth it. You're almost better off saying I'll take 10 in January, if indeed there is still a January transfer window. Or he's sitting there saying, let's agree it in January. I want to see what the market looks like after this a bit and if it recovers. Or give him a single Uh, year extension so that you can sell him next season, right? I said it, well, I said this about four podcasts ago. I think we'll do one year and see how it works. I think he'll do. I think he'll do that out of loyalty more than anything else, because I think he does want to win with this club. Yeah. Uh, and I think now he's got a manager that he feels that he probably can do that with. That perhaps he says, "All right, I'll take a pump for a year and help you out." But after that, if it doesn't work out, I'm going chasing the bucks and the trophies elsewhere. And I think I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel bad if that was the case. You can't, you know. Man's career. And, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel bad if he left this summer. I mean, no one could ask of any more of him. And let's be honest, we've never been further from competing. No, let's we've be never honest. been further from competing with him as our main striker. 
which yeah. is also a you know a, like it's either an interesting point or a completely stupid point. Uh, so just quickly, um, a lot of Arsenal fans are very concerned that um, Mikel Arteta seems to love every single player um, in, in the squad at the moment. Maitland Niles is back in. Uh, so- uh, Socrates has been playing. Um, Mustafi is getting starts. Granite Jacker seems to be very favoured. Um, do you think the um, Arteta is just playing the game. Do you think he's pumping value to sell this summer, or do you think there's a risk? One hundred percent. Yeah, I think there's going to be a, a, a purge. Sorry about that. I think uh, there's going to be a purge this summer, and I think he's going to be ruthless, and he's going to be able to use COVID as a as a bit of a bit of cover. Not that I think he even cares. I think he's going to do a George Graham and. Yeah. Get rid of a lot of lot of the old crap. The red and wedding. By the way, that, that's the right tactic. What are you going to do? Shout at these guys because you still need them to play for ten games. You, you know, put the arm around them and look. If one of them fixes their issues, then maybe they've got half a chance. But I don't think, by any stretch of the imagination, the same players we've been talking about all season that we know, like the Mustafis of the world. Uh, will be with the club next season. I, I, I think he's playing a very smart game. It, you have to uh, say, it's been a masterful game. He has made Jacker look like a very functional, useful player. He's made uh, Mustafi look pretty decent and brave. Um, Kalasanak looks pretty solid. Um, Maitland-Niles, I mean, it now looks like he might be playing him in centre midfield. He's He's restored a lot of broken players. So um, a lot of credit will go his way if he manages to sell them. Kolasnak's not going to play again if Tierney stays fit, is he, though? I mean, let's be realistic. No. No, definitely not. (laughs) So We've we've actually got no real idea how good Tierney is. But playing devil's advocate, I mean... I think uh, I do have some element of trust in the people that do sort of run football professionally for a living like, someone must have seen something Arteta's definitely seen something and loves him well, he, he started he both as friendly you know, uh, I think he's he's been linked bit. away quite heavily hasn't he he's been linked with Leicester um, quite heavily and the, you know oh, that's, got, that's more that's more noise from Brendan Alsey father because he managed it at Celtic right I mean, but, but I do wonder whether there is a concern at Arsenal about uh, Tierney's long term fitness because he's he's one more shoulder injury away from being extremely problematic fear. right yeah a bit a bit Theo Walcott um, so but t- talking, about, talking then, of less the talking there's, of, there's the other piece which is the Saka yes the Saka Yes, segue is in there, Matt, because um, the, the biggest contract concern at Arsenal right now has to be the most exciting left-sided player uh, to, to, to grace the Emirates Stadium in, uh, in, in many a year. So um, what, what do we think that Saka is playing the game? Because, uh, you know, Hudson-Odoi was uh, you know, earning over 150 a week. Um, we've got Liverpool sniffing around him, Dortmund at all times are sniffing around the best uh, young British players in the world. Um, he's hot, hot, hot property. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to struggle to get games anywhere in the world right now. What, what, what's, what's going to convince him to stay guys? I think he'll stay because I think he's so young that even if he signs a three year deal on good terms, it really makes no difference whether he moves to a big club at, eight, at 18 or 21, you know, Moving in three years to Liverpool, Barcelona, whatever, if, if, he's, if he's able to, to do that, it's not late in the development of a, 
professional footballer. And I think he, you know, if I was the, the, his agent, I'd go, you're better off here because uh, there's going to be lower expectations of you. You're still going to get your cash and you're going to get the chance to develop as a footballer with a place in, in, the, in the team. Everyone loves you. All of that Close stuff. to where you but grew up as well. Close right? to where you grew up for, for three years. Why put the added pressure on him? If he was 22 now, then you'd understand a bit more. But he's so young. Um, and, and so there's no need for him to go anywhere. He's also it's, got a good really, coach now. I, I think there's a different facet to this conversation. I think all of those things are true. I think there's a slightly different facet as in, is anyone doing business in football at the moment? I mean, we've, we've talked about one transfer because that's the only transfer there is, right? No one's, no one's extending contracts. No one's doing anything. So I think there's an element of no one's willing to do business in this environment at the moment until we know a little bit more. Um, I think he wants to stay anyway. I don't think that's an issue. I think the only reason we've seen that bit of business is that Chelsea are privately funded and they're taking advantage of the situation where... Um, they know that other people are holding back, so why not move forward? Well, Pe- Petr Cech also said uh, when he took over at Chelsea, he's like, let's just take the ban and then see what the young kids can do and then we'll save the transfer budget. So they, Chelsea have been saving their pennies uh, yeah. for, for this year. And oh, and my God, save, save your pennies for the biggest crash in football transfer um, uh, fees in history. My word. It was like, like all know. those bank. That's all I do, right? And property speculators okay. whatever it is. So we're 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 excited. We think uh, we think Saka's gonna uh, we think Saka's gonna say. Um, we touched on um, we touched on some contract issues. Raúl said that we would never get into a situation where players uh, get below two years on their contract. Uh, we've seen Welbeck leave for free. We've seen Ramsey leave for free. Uh, Aubameyang um, is uh, down to his last year. Saka is down to his last year. Um, What's gone wrong with Raul? Why is he struggling to get players to commit? Well, I think he means players that he signs, right? Because I think it's going to, we're going to end up in a situation where all the other clubs seem to do this and we never have, which is we, we have an option without your say-so to do the extra year. A lot of Spurs players have that in that contract. It's a very Spurs players. thing. That's very true. Yeah. And it's just, you know, if we think you're not likely to sign, we'll take up the option which adds value overnight in the transfer market and will sell you. And I think that's what he's talking about. I think some of these legacy deals sort of done by, you know, whoever else was, you know, Dick, well, what was his name? Dick Law. Who's Femi was in charge of contracts? No, but all, all these guys were done before, sort of almost just before. All of them, but you know? Obama joined the month. That Raul yeah. did, and he quit yeah, Barcelona in November. Oh, I think it was announced in November. Yes, yeah, so they haven't had a huge amount of influence to sit there and say, "Let's revise our pro forma contract, and this is the standard terms we offer." Kind of thing. Do you, you, know? do you not think two years at the club is enough to see that Saka should be getting a deal, that Aubameyang should be extended? Like, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like Raul's being particularly proactive So, as you, as we all are painfully aware, somewhere. There's some fucker with a job titled CFO knocking about, telling you what you can and can't do ultimately. And I think that's what that is. Are you blaming uh, Vinay? Sure. I, I, I wouldn't blame Vinay. I mean, I blame Josh Cronky for absolutely everything in the world, All right. including my co- Okay. Uh, so we touched on um, we touched on a scouting network being shuttered. Um, Ash, you seem to believe that um, like you you seem unconcerned 
the um so I'll, I'll combine these two questions um raul has uh has wiped out the board as oversight uh arsenal um amy lawrence writing a piece uh indicating the um so chips left because he wasn't being um asked about players that he was being you know forced to be accountable for um so raul was pushed out the board um edu and raul together have been shutting down uh the scouting department um, Jason uh, uh, Rosenfield, uh, the stat DNA guy, um, he has moved to FIFA. Um, it feels like a lot of accountability uh, that you'd hope for at the club has gone. And as you say, um, Ash, Josh is very busy with other things. Are we a little bit concerned that this is Raul's club now? Um, and it appears that contacts hasn't just been uh, added to the mix, it's taken over and it is the mix. I think it's a balance of those things, mate. I think um, every time a manager changes or senior management changes at a football club, there are changes throughout the club. So I think the fact we haven't had that happen to us accentuates the fact that we've got rid of a few people in the scouting farm. Also, I think it replaced the whole thing, by the way. You know, no one talks about how he got rid of a bunch of people. No one talks about how George Graham got rid of a bunch of people behind the scenes, whatever it might be. So I think there's an element of that. I think but, but Ash, Ash, what I've read of seen is some of, some of the people that went were definitely sort of outside of the thing and very close to Ivan more than they were to the to the uh, loyal to the management teams. But then again, you can read Steve Burgess in here, and I think it's really fascinating around the um, S&C department. Um, so I think there's an element of natural attrition. Uh, I don't think we're doing it for the primary reason, or the, the reason everyone suspects that it's evil Raul. Do you think that the scouting think, department um, suggested Cedric Suarez, uh, who was Kia's player, David Luiz, who is Kia's player? I do think Raul is self-interested because if he doesn't show results quickly he will be out but if you were trying um, to, if you if you were looking for quick results why would you sign david luis and cedric suarez and dennis suarez uh the the year before these don't these don't seem like i used contacts to get a a, a really great deal they it seems kind of the opposite no i think it's a man who's phoned his mates and said guys i really need some fucking help here sort me out and he's just trusted these people at their word. I am worried genuinely about the influence of these super agents. I have been in football. I thought it was a, a vain thing that we attempted not to work with these people because just it's just ridiculous these days. But we've gone from one extreme where we refuse to work with them, work with them, to we're working with only one or two now, right? And I think that's a, a slightly scary thing. I think not even the good ones. They're not even we're not even working with the best ones. Well, it's not I mean, like we're I mean, taking. I mean, I think the expectation is. And and I and I have not I don't really have much to base this on, but it seems like the expectation when you work with these super agents is you have to pick up some shit before they give you dibs on someone decent. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's like, yeah, you need a David Luiz, a Cedric Suarez, and a Dennis Suarez, and when the new young super kid comes, then Cedric Suarez for me as a backup to Hector Bellerin is not a disastrous deal for the money we, that we paid for. Um, I, I don't think that's the case. The guy's got Premier League experience. He's not a week in, week Five out Five million starter. quid all in for a player who's probably not going to play a minute for Arsenal. 
I think that's a, I think that's a, dis- I think that's a disgraceful deal. How Five million for a player Southampton thought was leaving for a free. Well, how much should we spend on the right back that we signed from Newcastle, Mattia? Um, Eleven million. Yeah, plus Debussy, salaries. Yeah. Plus we extended his contract. Plus he was injured for. And look, he didn't break his leg on purpose. So I have a huge amount of sympathy, but we were happy with that signing, even though Hector was coming through, right? That we had a bit of a replacement for Bakary with some experience. And he was actually a good player, right? Played some international football. I don't think Cedric Suarez is anything... Uh, Dan, yeah, Cedric isn't anything more than that. And I think that's why he's been bought. He was running his contract down. There was a deal to be done. We took the opportunity because otherwise we were playing some absolute... You know, we were either playing a kid. I don't I don't so, think we were. We like, I, I don't... like. Was anybody... Disgusted uh, Maitland Niles at right back. Like, was it where his performance? Yeah, but he could have done for six months and say, you know, especially if you're pleading. But we still have a problem next season, then, don't we? Yeah, but we've we've got a problem this. I think we were opportunistic. I think that was some level of planning. Now, only time will tell. But I think there are bigger questions over other players he's put forward. I think the Pepe one is the hugest one. Can you can you just let, disclose if you have any ongoing relationship in any way with anyone in the Suarez family or? <laughs> yeah, I think I think Suarez is the most batshit signing of all time. I, and uh, you're, I think you're being very kind. I think you're being very kind. But the I did, the pep the pep. I say, and I said I'll put in the extra quid for Luis Suarez on the bid. The the the, the, the Pepe the Pepe signing is super interesting because the guy who runs Pepe uh, one is the big really big interesting one because he wasn't worth seventy two million quid. Well, he, he wasn't worth seventy two million quid. The guy that runs Lille and um, tried to set up an agency to rival uh, Mendes his his agency, and then when he realised he couldn't buy players third party rights, they decided to get into football buy a club and then get the fees that way and um i think his name is mark ingler um who used to work with raul at barcelona uh so it's his mate and he got uh he got banned from french football for three months for uh you know alleged financial um financial reporting issues we've had um we've had the uh who's the dutch guy in the tracksuit the agent super agent um Mino, uh, Mino Raiola. Mino Raiola. Yeah. Who's turned around and said, if FIFA want to regulate us and get us out of the game, we'll just make sure players don't sign. And like the one thing in this crisis that is guaranteed that should be cut is the fucking middlemen. Yeah. Right? I just, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. And, definitely. Definitely. And they, they're actually going to try and hold on to their power. And I think that's going to be a really interesting outcome. I don't even understand why you go with Raiola. If you're Haaland, you're gonna get you're gonna get that move anyway. Like what 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 magic that what what magic is he bringing? Where you could be like, I'm happy for this guy to pocket twelve what, fifteen million. What they're relying on is the move after. It's not the first move. It's the one that they can bring after that, and the one after that. Right. Anyway, I I, I hate I hate the super agent thing that we've got going I, at Arsenal. I, I think it's deeply, deeply concerning. Um, Be a joke kid, by the way. He says he's always been an Arsenal fan, and that he offered Tevez and um, he did, yeah. We were Tevez Carano. 
I, I take yeah. I take the Kia. I take the Kia with the Tevez and the Mascarano. I don't want to take the Cedric Suarez and the you know Coutinho for a gazillion a week. Uh, anyway, so I'd rather I'd rather rely on Edu's you know contact network in Brazil a bit more than those those bastards. Yeah, I worry about Edu as well because I'm. I, I wake mean, up with a horse's head in my bed in the morning. We now know why. Yeah, I'm struggling to see what Edu's bringing to the uh, bringing to the table as well. Seems like he's just as game for these signings as anybody else. He should put a foot down. Um, but his agent is Kia. <laughs> there we go. Uh, right. Okay. So we've already spoken about the transfer market, and we think that that's going to be um, a bit of a problem. And um, here's one for um, you know guys that work across sport um, and branding and advertising. How do how do we think the clubs are going to adapt to um, a fifteen percent drop on average in revenue from gate receipts next season? What do we think? What do we think the magic is coming from there? Because that's a that's a hefty amount. Season ticket prices will go up. Beer prices will go up. And we'll carry the can on everything. Fans always do. TV subs will go up. You know, advertising revenue will go down, and we'll be bearing the brunt of it all. We always have. I mean, I, 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 and Ash, you're, you're better qualified to talk talk about this but i wonder if it's gonna mean that we rethink the way that we watch football on tv and there's new deals to be done uh you know the saturday three o'clock becomes you know a thing of the past we start seeing premier league games in time so you can wake up and watch them in asia you see yep. sunday night games all of those things come up and, 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 you, and you try and you you see uh what is it a 39th game uh, where you I, well, we already have, right? We've got Friday night games and that kind of stuff. I think the thing that... But you, but you, but you, do, you do the one where, you, you know, Arsenal-Chelsea gets played in New York, uh, whatever you get. You get, you know, we haven't even seen the idea of, you know, what if Manchester United versus Manchester City was at Yankee Stadium, was on the top of the Dubai, whatever. Yeah. You know, Look, here's, here's the first thing. I don't, uh, I don't think anyone's caught this significantly in the media. Um, but one of the things I think that will happen, and I think, by the way, the, the origins of this is Brexit more than it is anything else, is that um, uh, the way that sports rights are negotiated outside the European Union tends to be a lot more longer term, which is how they were prior to the creation of the Premier League. So if you look at the way the MLB sell rights in baseball in the US or the NFL sell rights, they're not three-year deals. They're up to 10-year deals. And until now, the Premier League has been um, having to live within the constraints of European Union law. Now, the end of this year, whether it happens, how it happens, whatever happens, I don't know. But the rights market in Britain and the landscape will check, could change significantly. And I think what, what we might start to see about adapting to losing 15% revenue is, all right, you'll still pay a bumper dollar for the rights. But what we're going to do is we're going to sell them slightly more long-term so you've got a bit more guaranteed revenue. So you're more insulated against these financial uh, storms that hit um, the economy. And I think uh, that will also bring newer, newer players into the market because if you remember the Satantas of the world and ESPN getting into this as well, and BT Sports seem to have ridden some of it out, but not quite, you'll get more people bidding for those rights. I think you're right. There'll be different kickoffs and more games available as a result. Um, I don't think that the top clubs will see a drop in match day revenue, but I think what they will what they will be happier about is the longer-term guaranteed commitments you're getting 
And all you're doing is you're kind of you're changing your your unit price or your yield or no, what you're selling but, at the end of the day. But match match day revenue yeah. match day revenue disappears because they're not going to have fans in the stadium for the for next yeah, season. Short term thing. I think I think we'll have fans in stadiums by the end of this year. I uh, really do. Of this year. This calendar year, yeah. But even even then, it, it, but even then, you're not going to sell it uh, at max. I think for, like clubs are looking at thirty percent capacity. Um, question because you know you've got a lot of media experience. Um, do do the big firms uh, that have the deals? Do they go in and say for the next Premier League season, look, give us all the games? No. Uh, so this was my point about when you get new players in. So three years is a really short window to pick up rights build a production platform to to sell and then attract customers to pay those subscriptions the the using financial services the, the payback on that is is really fucking tight and no one's going to take i mean the sky nbc thing is really interesting because whether the now they're a us owned entity um uh you know and nbc's got multiple sports rights deals, including the Premier League in the US, for example. Uh, but they've got the Olympics next year. They're paying a top, top dollar for some of these big events. And they've got a very different right strategy to the to the rest of the US market. means I think the sky dollar is the thing that's interesting. What extending your, your rights sale term from three years to, say, five years is, your business case becomes slightly more easy to achieve. And that's why I think the Amazons of the world actually start to come in from rather than one or two games a week. Actually, you know, and a 30-game package for a season. We're going to give you a 60-game package for the season. We're going to give you five years to create that audience and that platform. And you can go out and sell it for $5.99 a month or $9.99 a month because their, their, met, their distribution mechanics are slightly different to a sky where You've actually got to go to a customer's house and put a dish on the side of the thing, and that actually costs you money um, as well as the customer money. And you're selling those things at a loss, by the way. So I, th- I think the revolution may be accelerated by COVID, but I think the revolution was coming anyway. But, but Ash, w- uh, what I'm asking is, will will the revolution be with us next season? Will uh, will a sky no, like, no, 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 just say, got, give us, we'll pay a bit more, got, and we'll pick up your 15% we loss? We have two years left on the current deal that's out in the Premier League. I think you will know what's going to happen next year because typically you don't need it. In about a year's time, I think the cycle will roll. If I've got that wrong, I'm completely fucking fucked. But you know what I mean? It's a year before you go to market. So, And I think the Premier League will leave it as late as they possibly can to get the best dollar they can as well. Um, it's a very dark art sports rights. It's not a cut dry. So you, thing that, you don't think there's a, a renegotiation next season? You just think it's as it, it would just be as is. Like they won't. Like nobody will come in and say we've we've got to plug the gap. We're going to change the contract. You get first dibs on all these games that you can charge extra. Likely, you would change a contract mid cycle. It's in fact almost, I would argue, impossible to do that. The issue you you have is if a a broadcaster X right. I'm making this up. I'm not going to name a broadcaster because people assume I think they're in trouble. They're not. We'll turn around and say, we can't afford this deal anymore. And the Premier League will say, well, fuck you, pay me. What they'll come to is an agreement where they will either sub-license some of those rights to another platform right. for the balance of that deal. 
So it stays within the existing contractual bounds, but the Premier League will say to a another broadcaster, uh, we'll let you sub-license these to Amazon so Amazon can increase their portfolio. Or they'll come to some kind of agreement as they have with the rest of this season where you've got games live on the BBC, you've got games, more games live on Amazon than you had, just with a view of trying to bridge the gap in that little revenue shortfall from match day revenue. So there, there are levers there, but I think they're very, very conscious of breaking a system that operates well and people understand. I think what I'm talking about would have happened over the next three years. There is, you're right, that it will be accelerated, but I'm not sure you'll see the current deal shut down and cut up. I don't think that will happen. Right. So, uh, like, so the the dream of either micro payments for any game you want, or being able to buy a season ticket that you watch through TV, probably not now. But in the next deal that they agree in a couple of years' time. That might yeah, be a I consideration think, yeah, with... I, I, yeah, I agree. That's interesting. Uh, whether they go pay-per-view on one night or whatever, I, I think that's a real option. I really do. Oh, that, that is, uh, that's, 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 that's very interesting. Well, what um, do you think of the fact that people are willing to pay 90 to $100 for a big boxing fight? You know, yeah. you, there's nothing... To, if, if, you were play, if Arsenal were playing and you're playing Chelsea, Spurs, whatever... I would pay fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty dollars. It's the same economics, by the way. If you look at the movie industry right now, um, with no releases coming out, some of these guys going straight to Apple or to iTunes, and it's a twenty-dollar rental, and that's the equivalent of three or the three cinema tickets. And you're at home, you're thinking, well, I've got five people here or four people here. That stacks up for me, and I don't have to spend, you know, an extra x amount of dollars on a train ticket you know and then buy the kids something in the shop afterwards and then everyone wants a beer which is now fucking 19 quid a pint and it's fast you know <laughs> and all that but, that, but that's just, the interesting point though ash right the the trolls movie uh went straight to uh you know to get distributed through like i can't remember who, who it was but it was like what 25 bucks ago and they they dropped 90 million in the first uh weekend and i just wonder whether if you did the same thing that matt was talking about like if you said to me tw- 20 bucks no, like his, whatever i'd I buy that game trolls Something like that movie should have done way more in the box office in the first weekend and actually been very sustainable in a repeatable model. That The the and one weekend is great, but they're not going to get the sort of long tail of traveling. That's the problem with the sporting event is it's it's different content every time. So you, there's a lot of different things you've got to play into, play into the equation here. And I'm not going to profess that I've run the models or talk to anyone about this in any series. <laughs> I think people will run those models and I think they will be real conversations. I, the, the, I think that the trolls did better than expected. It, it broke digital records. So, um, digital be, record. Uh, it'd be, it, it'd be, it would be great to be able to just buy uh, whichever game you wanted to watch through whichever platform it's just um it's just a shame i think that the reason they don't the premier league hasn't done that before is they worry that it'll affect match day attendances but now there are no matches to attend so um yeah I, I'm, I'm very very interested to see how uh, tv shapes up i think that's slightly different i think the premier league is sells the way it sells because it guarantees longer term fixed high revenues than the seasonality so for example your model uh the model the trolls model right say um 
Uh, and we know that, say, four teams bring in the bulk of the dollars in terms of television. So one of those three or four teams has a bum couple of seasons, as happened to Chelsea, by the way. And you're not going to risk that. You're not going to risk being in a situation that, you know, someone sells a club, does something to a club, a bunch of players leave, other economics. You take the guaranteed revenue, right? Rather than so risk being I popular. Risk. I think they'll try it. I think they'll try different things. But the holy grails will remain the holy grails. Like the Sunday 4 p.m. kickoff, yeah. that ain't going anywhere. That's going to be part of a big subscription package through a provider, whoever that provider is. And the time slots that really matter to these guys are Sunday 4, Saturday 5 p.m., the rest are neither here nor there. I mean, the Sunday 2 matters a bit, but there are now more games being played at that time because of, of the Wafford Cup and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, I think they'll think about it differently. And I think you may see things that are slightly more, uh, the clubs may be willing to take a little bit more risk around rev share and things like that, rather than the guaranteed revenue. But we don't know what we don't know. So it's all speculation at the end of the day. I bloody love speculation. Get me on that F5 on uh, news. Yeah, speculation around football transfers is way more fun than the shit I'm talking about. Uh, oh, yeah. There's, uh, well, I don't know. I quite enjoyed that conversation. So um, let's, um, I, like, how, how are you guys doing for time? Because I've got, I've got to run in, in about five. All right, let's uh, we'll do the last five. Um, it's it's Arsenal versus Manchester City tomorrow. Um, how do we think? Uh, so the the question I want to ask is like getting into predictions is a bit boring, but like how um, how is Arteta going to um, take the rest of the season? Is he going to focus on youth? Is he going to go all out with the most senior players? Is it a blend of the both? Like how do we think he's going to approach that Manchester City game? I think there's so much uncertainty that he will, because you have to be, you have to, be, you have to believe. He will believe that he can get Champions League still. Because I, agree. I think we, he's going to go out to absolutely put. We're going to win every game. We're going to smash everybody, and this is how we're going to prove to everybody what the foundation of the the next iteration or the next phase of Arsenal Football Club is. I I, I agree with you. I think he's not going to go out there and say. Well, now's the time for me to play around because I'm. I know I'm not going to finish in the top four. No, and and, and, and there's not there's not a big number of points. And I think you know football changes quickly. I mean, I we are all you know drinking the Arteta Kool Aid. The fact of the matter is, he came in when we were eighth and we're currently ninth. And if we get to the end of the season and we're still ninth, then suddenly there's a dangerous narrative going around that he hasn't made us any better. And I think we all believe that he has, but the facts are the facts. And I think we all have enough confidence to know that he's going to lift us up the league in the last few games and show his worth. Because if we end up ninth, it's a disaster. But we yeah. are also four points off United. And granted, the game in hand is against Man City. But I think with the way the uncertainty around what it's going to be like when we return, I think it's, I think it's, it's you've got to go for it, right? Haven't you? Yeah. You know, I think I think like playing on that theme, I think the most important thing that Arteta has got to do, like he's proved that he can make us difficult to beat. He's proved that he can create a defensive structure. What we haven't seen really 
apart from maybe in the bit in the Chelsea game and a bit in the Manchester United game, we haven't really seen a, a free-flowing Arsenal team. And, you know, that was blamed on the situation at the time, which was completely agreeable. He picked up a shit show. But now I'd really love to see a, 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 a bigger expression of, the, of, the, of the, the game that he wants to bring to Arsenal. Like, exciting young players, I, powerful football. I, I think I, I love the fact you're talking about it, and I think that would be amazing. I don't give a shit. I think... There is nothing like changing the mentality of an institution by just fucking winning. And I think yeah. if you do do it ugly to start with and then bring that in next season, fine. Yeah, George Graham. With it this season, great. I I just think you've got to try and get 30 points out the rest of the season. I love you guys. Just shut me down for being a football hipster there. You're right. If we grind out a bunch of one nils to the end of the season. You win, you win 10 games, we're on 75 points. I mean, granted, we're still you know, behind Liverpool from where they are now. I don't care. But like you get to 75 points, you're finishing in the top four this season. Yeah. And it's also interesting as well. You know, if, if he finishes above Mourinho, I think that that would be a big milestone. But I think the, the, the most, the thing that I really hope he does is finish above Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I really, 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 really hope that he does because Ollie Ollie G seems to have grown during uh, during this quarantine, and I don't think he deserves it. But um, if we could turn over United, that would be quite an achievement. Why do they think they're going to get Sancho? Well, they're um, they're looking at they're going to sell Pogba and they're going to be rich. They're they're looking at that fatty guy at Barcelona. They bid 140 million for Ansel Fatty of Barca. That really uh, exciting young kid. So they're definitely going hard at it. It's like throw enough money at anybody and they'll get successful at some point. All right, guys. So just uh, quickly before we leave, um, give us give us your predictions for Manchester City. I think we're going to lose. 3-1. 3-1. Ash? I'm going for a solid Desmond. I think it will be a lazy return to term and uh, 2-2. I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with, with Arsenal winning 2-1. <laughs> oh! I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm just gonna do it. I, I have to I have to back I have to back oh, a horse. For you to come out to the beach this weekend. Pin, pin my uh, pin my reputation on Arteta. He's got to come out of the gates, otherwise I'm in all sorts of trouble. Um, okay, guys, uh, that was uh, that was a oh, brilliant but, but and interesting. Just, let's just let's just imagine if that did come true, we would be firing for the last nine of the season, wouldn't we? <laughs> My word, my word, that would be a statement, right? We deserve it after the last five years at Arsenal, right? We deserve a little bit of joy. Okay, guys, um, thank you. We're so, st- and we're so stupid. Secretly, we're all secretly. secretly we all think we're going to win. Uh, yeah, I, I, the guy that had the tweet where uh, Ornstein said that the Arsenal players have been doing really well at training, and he just quote tweeted it, and he said, uh, Ar- "Arsenal nil, Manchester City one, Aguero four minutes." I was like, "That was." That- just, I think the key for us is in a month's time where we play back to back at her, uh, well, Leicester at home. Spurs away and Liverpool at home and I'd love to turn Liverpool over at home oh. I fucking send the champions off with a big middle finger uh, having dispatched Mourinho's mugs the week before 
<laughs> for me that'd be heaven that's the bad that's it alright guys on that note uh, thank you immensely uh, for joining us um, and we're gonna uh, be back soon and we're gonna start getting this on the regular again uh, remember to write, rate us five star on uh, iTunes share it with your friends uh, your parents be safe and I will see you soon thank you ciao for now take care ciao for now it's back Thank you guys. I uh, I enjoyed it. That was good fun, mate. Peacock streaming the biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56, the 2022 Winter Olympics, and the Peacock Original Bel Air. Plus, the new movie Marry Me in theaters and streaming Valentine's Day. Sign up now at peacocktv.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.